Welcome everyone to this new episode of my podcast, Trends with a Voice. Today I have the pleasure to welcome Faith Johnstone, a trans woman now living in Ottawa. Faith is the executive director of Wisdom to Action, a progressive consulting firm and social enterprise, and the president of the Society of Queer Momentum a 2S LGBTQIA plus advocacy nonprofit. She's a prominent advocate for queer and trans rights and a recurring voice in Canadian news on 2S LGBTQIA plus issues. Over the past 10 years, she has supported hundreds of organizations across Canada to build their capacity for 2S LGBTQIA plus inclusion. She was the Grand Marshal of the Ottawa Capital Pride Parade in 2023 and recipient of the Young 2S LGBTQIA Plus Entrepreneur of the Year Award from Canada's 2S LGBTQIA Plus Chamber of Commerce. Also, in 2023, she was on a chocolate bar. To start, uh, I would like you to share with our listeners uh, your life story. Where are you from? Hello, hello, and thank you for having me on your podcast today. I'm a 28-year-old trans lady. Uh, I live here on Unseated Unsurrendered Algonquin Anishinaabe Territory, uh, but I was born in Fredericton, New Brunswick, uh, and I, I lived for, I think, the first three years of my life in Oromocto, which is a military base just outside of Fredericton, uh, which, as you might be thinking now, does indeed mean that I am the spawn of two military parents, not just one, but two. Um, so I grew up um, in a lot of, you know, smaller towns and military contexts um, that were like, you know, actually like very positive memories in my life. Uh, like I lived in New Brunswick and Manitoba and Ontario back in New Brunswick and then came to Ottawa uh, when I was 12 years old. Uh, so my favorite part of myself that no one ever thinks when they meet me is like I played 12 years of boys recreational hockey I was a cadet for about 30 seconds way back when also. And while I like grew up and came into myself in a big city, uh, you know, a big part of my heart still lives in small towns, especially on the East Coast. I also went to French schools um, and did my best to keep that up through till now. Okay, so that's that's stage one. That's context of Fay. I came to Ottawa when I was 12. I went to a high school here. Uh, I was always like the shy, awkward kid. I was like historically the bullied kid. It's the ginger hair. It just makes it stand out in a fun way. And also when you're the like closeted trans and gay human that doesn't realize they are, shockingly other people pick up on the vibes and they realize they can do weird things because of it. So then I came out yeah, halfway through grade 11 in high school as gay or like bi initially. Um, and then, you know, that changed my personality overnight. Like, sexuality is not aesthetic, but aesthetic can demonstrate shifts in who we are and our personality. So I went from being, like, baggy jeans, hated what I wore, to, like, showing up as, like, the little gay kid with the skinniest skinny jeans. And immediately, like, after coming out, my personality changed in a really good way. I stopped being this quiet, shy kid. Uh, I became to have confidence in myself and being who I actually was got super involved in my local GSA at my high school, became president in the next year, started volunteering in queer and trans advocacy and nonprofits, um, you know, hosting like queer coffee shops and little gay events here in Ottawa. 
And then when I graduated, I started doing more and more of that work. Um, but even as I had like shifted and changed quite radically when I went from being like quiet, anxious, in the closet, Faye, um, to being like gay, by Faye, um, there was still something that like didn't quite connect. And it took me many years more to figure that out, which was like, I'm like, I'm not saying that I am a butterfly, but you think of the stages, it's a little thing, it becomes a cocoon and then it becomes a whole other thing. I think of it as my like my second stage in that and like becoming who I truly was. And so I remember then, you know, coming out of the closet as non-binary, trans femme, I call myself a million different things and I generally don't care which, um, but trans girl these days or trans woman who gender is weird. Um, and, and that was the second moment where I started to figure out like who I am and, uh, and I shifted my personality once again, right? Like I started being more of myself, realizing that the boundaries of where I could exist uh, were not the rigid, strict things that I thought they were even after I had come out as bi. And that parachuted me into being, you know, much more extroverted, happy with myself, uh, more honest about myself with others. And, you know, as I came to terms with some of the, the icky things, um, and I remember those some of those moments when I realized, right, like I, I used to be a hockey jock and, and then I walk in the world as I do now. Uh, and like, I have, you know, been slurred at, harassed, hated on in more places, spaces and ways than I would ever have imagined possible. And the whiplash of that moment, which is a privilege to have, because many folks don't like ever experience that, like that safety and privilege that I did before. Uh, but the whiplash of having it disappear overnight um, and the like the sense of injustice and the fear and the anger uh, that has been the thing that has been powering my work every single day since, because I don't think anyone deserves to, to live in a world uh, where they have to worry about their own safety, their own dignity, uh, where they have to, where they're kept down quite literally uh, by systems and structures that don't let them be their full selves and hurt them when they dare to be so. Um, and so since then, you know, I've been doing more and more work in queer and trans advocacy, uh, trying to help. Uh, governments and politicians and the public understand that uh, homophobia and transphobia is bad for us, uh, that queer and trans folks deserve rights. Um, and in that role, I've had the absolute honor of being able to connect and learn and partner with, you know, queer and trans folks all across this country doing incredible things and seeing uh, both the power of the spaces we've created, like the breathing room we've given to young queer people to be themselves, but also then seeing how much further we need to strive because everywhere in every town, community and context, there are folks whose lives are held back uh, by systems and structures that all of us should shrug off and move beyond. Again, at the end of the day, we're about a million things, but we're about freedom, dignity and a world where we can all be ourselves. Like those are, there's some pieces there that are true across all movements for justice uh, and that actually rest at the core of the world we're trying to create. So that was almost a linear story. It had a plot and there was a cute, wholesome message at the end. So I did something there. I left out in my personal story that I have the cutest ferrets in the world. His name is Latte. Yeah, that was amazing. So maybe my first question would be for you, like, what I understood is you moved a lot when you were younger because your parents were in the military. So... You were, you were born in Fredericton, but how long did you stay like in New Brunswick? And what are like, I would say, your uh, memories from New Brunswick? 
So we, we lived in uh, New Brunswick until I was, I think about three or four years old initially, but then we moved to Kingston and, and, and then from Kingston to Shiloh, Manitoba. If you don't know where Shiloh is, it's near Brandon. If you don't know where Brandon is, it's near Winnipeg. If you don't know what Winnipeg is, it's the capital of Manitoba. And then after that, we moved back to New Brunswick for grades, uh, I want to say three to five. Um, and, and so my most like prominent memories of New Brunswick are from that stage, those three years. Uh, and the highlights for me, like I was a hockey player, right? So we would go on like tournaments because in small town New Brunswick, there aren't enough teams in your own town for you to play against each other because you don't want to play the same people every single darn day. And so I remember like driving around rural New Brunswick, going to St. Jean, going to Moncton and just like going all over the place. I have like no adult memories of these places. Like I couldn't like, but I have an impression of them in my head. Um, and that is my fondest memory. It's just like traveling across small parts of New Brunswick and just like being on the road with my family uh, and trying to kick some ass at hockey. I can relate to your experience in hockey because I played boys hockey for seven years when I was younger. And I, I grew up in Northern New Brunswick in Bathurst. And it's the same thing. There was a couple of TV in Bathurst. There was Burstford, Tsirashi. Uh, and then you had to go like uh, Dalhousie, Charlotte, Camelton. You had to like go around to get to these tournaments to play other teams, to not always play the same teams. And it is experience to remember from your childhood and when you're in this age and you play hockey hockey takes a lot of place in your life and I had some good moments in hockey but I remember it was also a place where I, where I got a lot of bullying too because hockey is a place where toxic masculinity is present a lot And we only start right now to see the tip of the iceberg with the different scandal we saw in the news. Everyone that was in that world of like hockey, minor hockey, knows that, yes, there's some good, but that toxic masculinity, it's still there and will take a lot to remove from the game if like you don't see any professional athletes like give the example of it's not okay to behave that way. Every good and bad thing that we stereotype about hockey is indeed true about hockey in both all the really good ways and all the icky bad ways. Toxic masculinity, violent misogyny, racism. I totally agree with you. And it's not only like people that are gay, that are trans, but also people of color that face, I would say, the same bullying at a different level, but it's the same bullying that get diversity out of sports and I would even say like hockey is probably one of the sports where it's harder than some others because hockey at its core was a white male sports. In middle school you hear slurs in your hallways like people say bad things more often than many of us would now admit uh, but there was nowhere worse than the hockey locker room. So I remember when I first came out as gay, my, my hockey coaches knew uh, because they were friends of the family because uh, hockey and like they were absolutely incredible, even when the team wasn't always great. Uh, and and it is like, you know, this is a, a, an issue that we're talking about now. And I wasn't out as trans when I played hockey, uh, but it's something everyone's, you know, hyper fixated on those like those trans people in sports. 
Uh, and I like to remind folks of a couple of things. I think one, um, you know, most of the sport we're talking about is recreational sport. The parents might have this vision of their kid going to the NHL, but they are not putting money in a way for the special trainer that helps make, like they know it's a pipe dream 99 out of a hundred times. So sport is not always about competition. It's about teamwork. Uh, it's about leadership development. It's about like healthy physical activity. Um, and everyone deserves access to that. And then paired with that fact, sports is a messy conversation when it comes to fairness. As I remember from New Brunswick, when we would play against certain teams in certain towns, those were the towns with the farm boy hockey players. They were huge. They were scary. I was a little stick thin, very defensive defense person. And they were giant. And so like, can we remember that fairness is a very nuanced issue that Mr. Phelps and his giant feet had an advantage biologically and that somebody with tiny feet of any gender and any anatomy would likely pair up worse than other humans who have average size feet. And also hockey's fun. And I would love to not see my people forced out of it because that's literally what happens right now. It's recreationally, the trans girls are bullied off the teams. The gay kids are also bullied off of the teams. And then they don't come back to sport. And I would love to play hockey today. I am not able to run on a damn treadmill. I'm a competitive gal. I need to be winning or trying to win. And it's almost impossible to find a place to play hockey if you're a girl like me in an era like this. If I remember all my years in hockey, like the year I enjoyed the most was the year where I was not bullied at all. There was one year, like the team was so nice with me and I really felt that I would say that family, that friendship, that only happened one year out of seven, but that was the year where I enjoyed hockey the most. I played the six other years because of my love of the game. Even if I got bullied, I wanted to play hockey. Even if I was on a rec team, even if I, if I was not, not good. I'm sure a lot of our listeners know the Mighty Ducks movies. I was the person like the, the garbage man in front of the goal. I was the person picking up the rebounds. That was my job. I was good at deflecting puck, getting rebounds and being the face of the other goalies. So even if I was just a little stick, I was able to do my job well. And it's tied in like to all of Canada's like, we grew up in this, right? Like it's the like the good old hockey game. Like I have that song in my head and I love that. But it's also wound up in like ideas of culture. And, and a lot of those are indeed ones that are, you know, very like toxic masculinity and traditional family. Like there's connections and allusions to that throughout sport and hockey especially. The coaches I had, I still have them on Facebook. They are some of my biggest like fans and supporters. And that is the other piece that we like, we lose in all of this bullshit is like, there are so many folks who are working to change and improve sport. And that includes like straight guys that are masculine themselves. We're just like, we're going to stop this misogyny right here. And we're not going to be racist. And like, there is so much good modeling we need to lean in because there is a whole lot of icky stuff being sent to young boys these days and they need those coaches who can be interveners and help those boys grow up healthy and help those sports environments be good to the gays and everybody else.
Exactly, because there's some good values in sport. Where you learn teamwork, you learn... You can learn a lot of good things in sport if it's an inclusive environment. You can unlock your inability to ever lose gracefully and your belief that you always want to win. <laughs> I can be graceful. I've learned. I've, I've grown as a human. Team sport is such a healthy cause. It's so good for us in every way. There's one thing I remember when I was younger. It's less the case now, but in small cities, you had the girls playing on the boys team. There was only one team. And I remember when I was playing at the time, it was not an issue for like people to have like girls on boys team. The only thing was that they had their own locker room. I had that also, right? Like even in Ottawa, not every year, but every couple years we would have a girl on our team. And it's so funny to think of that in light of what's being said about trans girls on the teams now. Because I'm like, we, we had girls on the hockey teams and it was fine. And they also were great. I remember and the girls we had on our boys team were some of the best players of our team. I remember. Which is shocking because it's almost like this isn't a question about, you know, gender and fairness. It's about a question about trying to force certain people out of sport. Hmm. Hmm. I think it's important to share that because like when I was playing like 20 years ago, it was not an issue, but now it is. So exactly. Maybe the last thing I would say on our hockey experience is like I was also a ref in hockey for four years. After I stopped playing, I was like, I love the game. I, I was at the stage it was like midget level. I didn't want to play midget recreational. I was like, no. And I wanted to have some money. So I decided to be, ah, I, I can get paid to go skate on the ice and be around hockey games. So I was like, why not? And I did that for four years during my high school years. And it's something that I might do in the future. Like if I could help like a women's league or an inclusive league, I would surely do it because I still love hockey. Yeah, I just want to play in a place that's inclusive. Again, like, I like the highlights, right? Like, what are the cool things, like, amidst all the bad doom and gloom? And my other cool things is the, the queer and trans folks carving out their own spaces in sport. So, like, I don't drive, which means I don't have a way to move my hockey equipment around at the moment. Um, but um, there is a gay hockey league, a queer hockey league in Ottawa. Uh, there's a queer rugby team, like... When mainstream sports say they don't want us, we create our own spaces and we say we're just as equal and have every right to be here as you do. And I love that. Perfect. I really love that discussion. That was fun. I noticed something when you were talking about your uh, story. You said you had a whiplash of privilege. I think something like that. That's something I always wanted like to talk about on the podcast. And I feel as trans woman, it is shocking how different people perceive us just by being a woman. And like for us, we presented male for a part of our life. So we know what it is presenting white cis male. It's just shocking to see. Like, and I think, you know, it's important to, to caveat a hundred times here, right? Because like, A, 
you know, when I think about how I was bullied as a, as a kid and all the way up, like there was like, that was to me rooted in my own like gender questioning weirdness, my own anxieties and internal shame around gender and sexuality. Uh, and then, and all of that. Uh, and it's also different for different folks, right? Like I was not the most petite feminine, like people did not know I was gay until I loudly said I was gay. I was hockey jock. And the kid who wasn't able to hide as well, treated very differently from how I was. Um, and so there's like a hundred things. It's like you're going to the spa, you hop in the hot water, you're relaxed, you're having a good time. And then they toss you in the cold water and it hits you in the face in a, in a very bad way. Um, and it was like, it was terrifying for me, right? Like I had been harassed out and about as like a twinky gay kid at the time. Um, but nothing prepared me for the everyday icky. There are the extreme or like higher on the pyramid of badness moments. And that's when somebody like says a slur or like, I am scared for my safety and scared that this could jump to the top of the risk matrix very quickly. Um, but then there's the everyday moments where people just look at you weird and like scrunch up their faces um, and maybe like, you know, elbow their friend and be like, hey, look at that. Or like, it's those pieces those hurt just as much. And to me, it was the realization that my ability to go from place A to B and to be safe, if I were to do so on my own, is different radically than it was before. When I travel to small towns, like my spouse is scared for me because I'm a smoker and I'll walk to the convenience store from my hotel. Um, or I'll go out to the bar, have a few drinks, chat with some folks. And like, they are worried about my safety. They're worried when I'm in Toronto. And the reason for that is because the everyday risk is just higher. And there's the immediate impact of that when you walk outside the first time and you realize people are looking at you differently. But then there's the everyday weight that that puts on your shoulder. And that's the thing that I have such fury around because we don't deserve that weight. When I came out and then started like being myself all the time, so... The society was perceiving me like a woman now. And at first, like, there's some small things, but that says a lot. For example, like, you go at the store. Now people open the door for me. No one did that when I was presenting mail. Like, and also I buy something that's, like, bulky, and they'll offer me help. Okay, clearly I'm doing something wrong, because I do not have people carrying things for me. And I would very deeply welcome that. I know, like, people in New Brunswick are really nice, too, so. Oh, okay, it's, it's a I live in Ottawa thing. That's fair. Maybe. <laughs> But even, like, in Quebec City, I would get that help, too. It's Anglophones, I think, that are the problem, then. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything about that. <laughs> But when people were, like, offering me help... I still had the same, like, arm, the same muscle. The box of furniture I bought that I was able to lift before, I can still lift it. It just shows... These are just, like, I know, maybe a bit funny as example, but it just shows, like, how the perception, like, of people change. I've been bullied, like, a lot in my life. After a while, I stopped looking at people took me years before I started looking like people in the eye. It was as that bad. It took me so much time. And 
when I go to the store, I don't look at other people, but I'll go shop with my mom and my mom will see these faces. And I remember at first, she saw like a lot of faces and I love, for example, to talk loudly. And my voice might not like sound too low, but for people, they'll catch on the voice and look at me weirdly. And that's not something people were doing before when I was presenting mail. So I get all these looks. Like I said, I don't know if it's better or worse now because I don't look at people, but it's a kind of protection. I put myself like, a, I would say like a shield. I love to be blunt about myself, right? Like I am built like a hockey jock to this day. I am 5'11". I don't have the most, you know, androgynous or feminine facial features. The makeup does miracles and my face is as womanly as they come as far as I am concerned. Uh, but I stick out like a sore thumb, right? Like I am, I am a gender non-conforming trans lady. Um, and my favorite thing is, I, I don't know why this happened, right? Like... I am who I am. I see so many trans girls who have to make themselves small because the risk of being noticed is so high. I don't have the personality. I don't have the like the chemicals to be small um, or to be quiet. So my solution is to just be a lot of me. Um, but it, it, it breaks me when I see how many folks in our community have been made to make themselves small because of the risk of people looking at them strange or the worry that they'll be treated differently uh, and that is like that's not on those folks right like that is not on trans gals that is on a world that even as it pretends it is so much better to us still stomps us down and contains us with every fiber of its darn being and i just can't stand that it's like, like you said, all the extra things we need to think about. Yes, there's the part like, there's things that cisgender women will still need to be careful about. For example, like the safety. Being a woman walking at night is different than being a white male walking at night. It's not the same risk. But when you add the fact that you're trans, it has another layer of danger. Because some people are really transphobic and they might hurt you more if you're trans than if you're a cisgender woman. Yeah. So one of the things that I, that is interesting in my position. Um, so like I have a fair degree of prominence as a loud, angry trans gal. And because of the Hershey fiasco, there was like a lot of media. Right. And there was a lot of attention and that was like, horrible um more than anything else but there was some nuggets of good behind like underneath it um the hate mail was not pleasant the international cancel campaign the dig into my privacy um the amount of danger to my safety was not great but one of the things that has also happened since is like a feeling of hyper scrutiny and what i mean by that is like i'm used to the everyday as a trans gal like i, I think i've become jaded to it i'm just like the small things that hurt are not things that I will give my time to feeling hurt about because it's not worth it. I have been in cities where people have tweeted seeing that they've spotted me 
Um, I have had people go to events and like write things on bathroom stalls because they knew I'd be speaking at that event later that day. And it's things like that where there is this whole other layer of trying to force us out of public life and where they like will break every rule of how you engage with human beings um, in order to try to hurt you. And that like, that's happening to more trans people. And that is the other thing that the public doesn't seem to understand is that like, what happened to me was like a slightly extreme case, but it's also happened to like five or six friends of mine this, this year to certain extents, um, where simply existing as a trans person who is public about yourself and maybe who's an advocate um, gets you at this heightened risk that you'll not only have like the everyday hate, but that you will have folks scrutinizing you uh, and hate thrown your way um, simply because you dare to exist in spaces as a trans person. The day-to-day still hurts. For me, like being misgendered hurts me when it's done repeatedly and I cannot stop it. That's how my body reacts to being misgendered. So for me, I know I'm really mindful of that. But that's something when it happens, it doesn't last long. It's that event. When I go out of that event, the day after, it's okay. But when you talk about what you were saying, that they scrutinize you in privacy, and then you lose your, I would say, your feeling of safety at home, or you just never know when someone might not only be transphobic, but might try to hurt you, that goes to another level. Like for me, when I took the decision to join a queer uh, community group and being more public, I had to think about what might happen to me, that all this aid could come to me. People could try to scrutinize me to put my life in danger. And no one should have to ask themselves these questions before trying to help the community being better. Like not only like in the fight for trans rights, but in anything. And I remember for me, like being so shy all my life and it took a lot of courage to go through with it and that one of the reasons why I went through with it is because of the friends I had. I knew I had people having my back and I know that's not the case for a lot of trans people that are isolated. So I have I have two pieces here, right? Like on one hand, I think that like the straight world doesn't understand the the risk and the danger and equally the courage that it takes to be a trans person who's public in any kind of context. So that's one piece. I think the other side is I worry that we in community, I worry that their message is working because they want us to be scared, right? As I said before. Um, and so I, I like to couch this. Um, in most contexts, if you're a trans person who speaks out, uh, you will be fine. Um, the world will not end. Don't read the comments if you're in news. Um, but you're not going to have horrible people coming up into your inbox. Um, there are exceptions to that. And there's moments that we can't account for. There are like hate monger Twitter accounts that will jump on anything that they can. Uh, but that doesn't mean that everyone's going to get it. And in most of our contexts, 
unless you are a trans gal who has a propensity to do public trans and queer things and then somehow gets on the bad radar of some of the annoying media publications that hate trans people and then it escalates from there uh, outside of those kinds of sick circumstances most of the time you're going to be fine you're going to be safe you should plan and be ready and you should assess you should make sure you know what out about you is available through google what can people find i used to work at a sex shop i had posed with pictures of dildos do you have things like that on the internet that could get you in trouble none of this is to say we should be ashamed of those things but that we should know our risk if somebody icky and bad really tries to dig but for most of us the risk it's higher than it was a year ago but it is still in the like under 10% rather than the if you go public you're going to get hated on uh, and i really worry i want more trans voices in public space i desperately actually need them um because we are being outnumbered by the bad guys so we need to be safe we need to be smart uh but we also need to be vocal as best as we can think i might add on that is there's always people that will be there to have your back the trans community is there like it's all over canada if they come for you anyone who's listening like poke me and we will find you people to back you up like there are lawyers out there there are social media pros um there are folks who will uh, ring the alarm and rally the people and you will not be alone in this sometimes like in smaller communities that challenges to find a trans community because there's trans people everywhere man. and even like for me in moncton i met someone that was well connected in the community and that opened all the doors but the challenge like i know in moncton is having event having spaces where people can meet and have this discussion and know that there's other trans people here that are there like to hang out and to support you in anything so just to wrap up on our realities as trans people like being public at risk but there's always people there to back you up to help you there's also challenges for com coming out as trans not even like in the public light but just in your workplace in your friend group and everything and these challenges are i would say they are not easy to go over but there's always people like there for you i think i'll finish it like that Before we end, I would like you to tell our listeners how they can like learn more about you and what you do and how to reach you. Oh yeah. So so first, thank you so much for having me on. This has been a blast. I uh, I spend too much of my time with straight people and cis people in this work and this has been rejuvenating. So thank you. Uh if folks want to support my work, uh you can find me on Twitter at @fejonstone on uh Instagram at fading away um but I would really encourage you first and foremost to go to www.momentumcanada.net/join and sign our newsletter. Uh we are trying to rally queer and trans folks and our pals all across this country to fight this moment and dream a better tomorrow into reality for queer and trans people and we need you on our newsletter so we can help you play your part in that. Perfect. I'll put all these links in the show notes. A big thank you, Faye, 
for being on the podcast. It was an amazing experience and I'm sure you'll be back soon. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Finally, I invite you to subscribe to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, and to follow Trends with a Voice on Facebook and Instagram. Don't forget that a society that is more inclusive to the transgender community is better for everyone. Thanks and see you next time.